To a brand new episode of Ideas Don't Bleed, a comics podcast presented by Ashcan Press, featuring Matthew Rosenberg and the Supple Boys, Ethan S. Parker and Griffin Sheridan. Uh, Matt, are you excited to be podcasting once again? Yeah, I was going to say it's been a long time since we've taped one of these, but we did one last week, didn't we? No. Yeah. Oh, we didn't? No. I don't think we did. Maybe two weeks ago. Well, obviously it has a big impact on all of our lives and we think about it a lot yeah. and it's very important mm-hmm. to us. So yes, I'm going to say I'm very excited. But here's and the thing. We're back. I, I, I wanted to say real quick, Ethan, you forgot to mention we're back with a, a, a new a new friend, a new host, and that is the people vacuuming downstairs in Matthew's apartment. I can't oh, wait. I can't believe excited. they're here. <laughs> Welcome, yeah, guys. They're, they're going to affect the power and whether or not I have video or if this goes 8-bit. Uh, it's exciting. Okay. Uh, the power grid in New York City is very good and very mm-hmm. up to summers. Mm-hmm. And our yes. new five-month-long summers are very healthy for the power grid. Mm-hmm. Well, why I am excited, Ethan and Griffin, uh-huh. I'm going to yeah. tell you why I'm excited. Mm-hmm. And that is because we have an excellent guest on this week's Again? show. Again? Oh, my gosh. No, more excellent. Oh I was going God. to say we have our first British guest, but then I remembered we had That's Alex Packnadell on. So <laughs> yes, we're, we did. You know what? We're going to make him a non-official guest. And our first guest ever from the United Kingdom is here. Oh, my God. And one of my favorite writers and one of my favorite people in comics, Mr. Al Ewing, is here. Hello. Yay. Hello. How do you feel about being so prolific that you decanonized Alex Packnadell? <laughs> Um, I feel terrible. I was just talking to him on the weekend. Uh, <laughs> I was literally like, he um, he phoned me up about some stuff, but I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna phone you while like I take I take my Sunday walk because I mm-hmm. uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to lose some weight at the minute. I'm trying to um, trying to get some get some pounds off. I'm getting older, and it's gotta you know it's gotta go. And you know, I've managed to lose about a stone so far, so that's pretty good. <laughs> We're American, so we don't know what that is. It's it's a number of pounds. There you go. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, and, you, and you're doing that with Sunday walks. Yeah, well, I'm I'm, I'm walking. I've got some weights, but I'm, it's mostly it's walking because you know it's nice to just get out of the house. Yeah. in the summer, let's get out of the house, like walk like six miles, um, oh, and come back. Uh, but yeah, I basically spent one of those. Basically on the phone with with Alex the whole time, so um, yeah, just shooting the shit, and it was very pleasant. It was too, but uh, but now I feel terrible because I've usurped him. No, I've replaced him. It's all right. We can either make it so that he I've was exiled him from yeah. the UK. Yeah, he can either be a non-official guest on the show, or he can be no longer British, and that's your call how you want to do it. I thought maybe we could just say like the chronology is different. Like that episode chronologically takes place after. Oh yeah, we taped it first. We can, yeah, and it aired first. Yeah, but it but in the universe it takes place after, Uh, which is weird because we're talking about it. So that'll be confusing. We'll have an editor's note. Al, 
Yeah. We have a question we ask everybody when we start. It's very broad. You can uh, you can choose to go in as in-depth or as not in-depth as you want. Okay. But our first question is, why comics? Um, It's the only thing I can do, pretty <laughs> much. It's no, it really is. There's like, I'm... I have written, I have written novels. They're okay. They they take ages and uh, they're difficult. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, there's something about just it's it's the words and the pictures. It's the combination of the words and the pictures. Um, for whatever reason, you know that is what. Um, for whatever reason, that's that's kind of. It's sort of got a hook in me, um, and and you know since since I was a kid because you kind of you kind of learn to read on this stuff, and you know when I was a kid that was seen as perfectly it wasn't it wasn't seen as sort of detrimental to like the learning process or anything. It was like every kid in Britain had a comic that they bought every week from the newsagents. That was that was a thing. Everybody had it. Mm-hmm. Um, Plus, we had a bunch of things like Tintin and Asterix sure. on the shelf, uh, English translations, which, you know, and those were seen as like, those, those were cultural. Those were like good for you. Yeah, yeah. Those were, you know, those were maybe like teaching French or something. But it was like, there was definitely this idea that you'd sort of grow out of comics and into, you know, reading proper books. And obviously, you know, I do, I do read books. I read fiction, I read nonfiction. But I haven't given up comics because comics are amazing. It's yeah. they're a wonderful medium. They yeah, they can do just about anything. And um, you know, having sort of got started reading comics, I I don't see the I don't see why it wouldn't be the thing that I'm sort of best at, uh-huh. best at writing, and sort of best at sort of most comfortable with kind of. It, like I know, I know how they work. I know the sort of nuts and bolts of them. With um, if you look at if you look at my prose novels, they're all essentially just comics with words, <laughs> without any pictures. They're kind of I never sort of I never sort of have any kind of poetic descriptions because I'm sort of secretly relying on an artist who will never write. <laughs> it's like um, it's That's- just a string of action and people talking. That's funny you say that because I actually think of you as a as a sort of poetic comic writer. So maybe there's a middle ground where you're. Do you not see yourself that as a more? Um, I don't. I don't. My panel descriptions are very unpoetic. Sure, sure. but nobody ever sees those. Yeah, uh, my panel descriptions are literally like what I would like you to draw, please. <laughs> um, and then like occasionally I'll sort of allude to something or try and create a visual metaphor. Yeah. Um, but you know, but your language that ends up on the page, yeah, but I I feel like it's poetic. I mean, that's kind of the wonderful thing about comics is that like, there's a whole bunch of, it's like putting on a play. There's a whole bunch of behind the scenes stuff Mm -hmm. that ideally nobody gets to see. Yeah. You know, they will, when you're working for her, they do own the scripts. They can reprint the scripts. Mm Mm-hmm. You hope they don't, because nobody's meant to see those ever. Sure, but yeah, yeah. they they have them. I mean, my number, you know, my my email address. Um, I don't want anybody to. 
but like yeah you know it's like I, I i saw this thing actually recently somebody sent me this um oh there's no come to me but i like a guy did a podcast with basically sent me through the post this book of scripts mm-hmm. that apparently they put out a couple of years ago and it was like oh you know some people said some nice things about you and this and i was like oh well brilliant i'd love to you know always always go through that but i was hoping through it and it was like there was like a plot script uh-huh. and then there was a lettering draft. So one of the scripts in the book was entirely without power descriptions. Yeah. So I sort of take them out. So like the letter can kind of focus on, mm-hmm. you know, like doesn't have to kind of skip past the letter bump to get to the useful bit. Wait, so you write a plot script with no, with like placeholder dialogue or rough dialogue, and then you write a lettering script that removes the panel descriptions. That's how I've always done it. Uh, is it insane? Uh, I mean, no, I don't think it's insane. Nobody's, it's nobody's ever, nobody's ever come up to me. No letter has ever come up to me and said, "Stop doing this." Have they ever complimented you on it? No, <laughs> no, they just don't say. Uh, anything. Why, why would they? But like, um, but you know, I mean, I've seen, I've seen people's letters say all the time, you know, don't, don't do this in the script, don't do, that. and you know, I was trying. Okay, well, yeah, stop yeah. doing that. Um, like. You know the the double hyphens. Mm-hmm. Try and keep them double hyphening. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to go through and sort of re redo it by hand. Yeah, yeah, redo. Um, which is a recent thing. Was a recent thing for me because you know I assumed. I guess I never thought about it, but if I had thought about it, I guess I assumed that you know, the fonts these days could turn it back into double hyphens. Yeah, I I make. Uh, but they can't. I make everything that's bold and italic in my script bold and italic in my dialogue, which isn't right. Apparently, you're supposed to underline it, and I'm just like, oh, I I used to underline it, but then I saw somebody say make it bold and italic. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> see, I think it's diff- different letters do it different, and so it's it's weird because you get advice of like don't ever do this, and then like you know letters I work with are like no, you can do that, it's fine. Because <laughs> like, I went through I went through a period of just like oh okay, I'm just going to underline it, and then it was like. I don't know, half the time things didn't get bolded. Yeah. And then um, I saw somebody say, and no, this was like, I say half the time, this was like, there are a couple of comics when that happened. Sure. Um, but then I saw somebody, probably on Twitter, say, like, oh no, you've got to bold and metallic everything. Mm, yeah. And it's like, well, now that's what I do. But I'll go back, I'll go back and underline instead. Well, this has been a great episode of Lettering Talk with a bunch of writers. <laughs> with, but yeah, how do you how do you do it, Matthew? <laughs> how do I do I do how do I do lettering? Uh, I, what's funny is that I wanted to learn lettering when I started, and then I was like, "That'll save me money from like mm-hmm. my pitches and stuff if I know how to do this." And then quickly, I was like, "One, this is an art and a skill, and to just assume that I could just pick it up really fast is really ignorant and stupid." And two. Uh, the people who do it are very fast and efficient, and it's just better to pay them the money than me mm-hmm. take, like, a letterer can letter a script and make it look better than I can in a day, and I would take five days to do it. I'm like, it's better to just pay them for that day. When you see a lot of um, small press stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, it can it can be yeah. amazing. You know, the art can be amazing, the writing can be amazing. What always lets it down is when the lettering they don't they don't have a letter yeah and they're and they're it, doing it themselves and the lettering is not great it, yeah it's it's uh, it that was noticeable 
that was the thing an editor told me very early on. I hired a, a, a buddy who was not a professional letter to letter something. And an editor told me, they were like, here's the thing about bad lettering. Uh, you don't necessarily notice it, but subconsciously it's unpleasant to look at. And so what you're doing is leaving a bad taste in people's mouths and they don't know why. And they'll ascribe it to your book. A lot. There were like a lot of editors will look at something and be like, it wasn't nice to read. And they won't necessarily be like, because of the lettering, they might just be like, it wasn't nice to read and end the conversation. And they were like, pay for the lettering, always pay for the lettering. And, I did the and same I, thing that you did when we were trying to get an ash can together a few years ago. I was like, oh, I'll just try to figure out lettering for this by myself. And then I was like, oh, this is the worst thing that's ever happened. I don't know why I thought I was capable yeah. of this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, like, uh, but I, I am curious, uh, this sort of goes back to something you said earlier, but also the fact that you build your scripts very differently than I do, which, you know, in comics is not unusual. Everyone sort of has their own take on it. But uh, I'm assuming you grew up on like British comics, right? On like 2000 AD, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, there are script samples of that floating around. Um, obviously, and obviously you've got, you've got the outliers. You've got like Alan Moore on one hand, who, if you've ever seen the first page of Watchmen, uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it was the cover of a comics journal at one point, but it was, and you know, it was basically Dave Gibbons drew this this cover of the comics journal of like his artboard with you know the various tools making a kind of smiley face and most script you know highlighted, and basically the the panel description, the first the panel description for the first panel kind of takes more than a page, yeah, um, and then you've got uh, John Wagner. Who the iconic panel description is dread, grim, <laughs> and the thing is, you don't really need the grim, uh, yeah, with Judge Dread because yeah. he always is. Yeah, it's a little. You're, you, he went too much. He put in too much on yeah, that yeah. description. Was, there. That was like overagging the pudding. But yeah, no. It's, um, so I, I kind of try to go between those two, those two disciplines. But also I've sort of, because I used to do things like with the dialogue and have it all in caps, and now I do it upper and lower. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm curious, like, about the the Dread, Dread stuff and 2000 AD stuff, because it's so, obviously we get that stuff over here in the US, but, like, it's so foundational to so many of the British writers and artists. And I, I, I wonder how much, like, I, I mean, it's really two questions. One, uh, at what point did American comics enter your your creative space? But also, like, how much do you think the difference between the British and American comics has influenced you? I mean, the, the British comics are, are a huge influence, especially 2000 AD, because when I was... Um, 2000 AD kind of aged with me a little bit, and that when I was... They were always sort of trying to appeal to somebody who was like about a year older than I was <laughs> until I became like a full-on adult, at which point it was like they stopped. And now, you know, that now that now they're kind of trying to appeal to uh, to younger readers again, which is yeah. good because, you know, all of the older readers are either dying or um, <laughs> no longer no longer in the comics, no longer in a position to spend lots of money on comics. Yeah, but like, um, yeah, basically, 
It was very TTC was always very um, it's always very dense. Like the average dread is six pounds long, mm-hmm. and at the time there were a lot of one-off strips. So it's very much like Will Eisen's kind of the spirit in that it's you know a very fast in, very fast out, establishes itself quickly. Um, and when you're trying to get a job on 2008, uh, the way in is to write a thing called a future shock, mm-hmm. which is it's it was at the time five pages, um, with a twist ending. The, the page size is slightly bigger because it's sort of UK magazine format, so you can fit about seven panels on there, maybe. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, six or seven. You don't want to go too crazy with it. Um, but yeah, you. It's a science fiction story with a twist ending. You could also sell them horror stories with twist endings. They would also mm-hmm. take that. Mm-hmm. But basically, you, you sent one in through the post that sort of fit the submissions guidelines. It kind of went into a slush pile for a while and then eventually got read. Everything got read. Uh, they still have that system. These days, it's open, I think, six months of the year. And, huh. you know, it's it's sort of not to be... It's not to be relied on, but if you can get in that way, the advantage is that I think probably a good 90% of the people you're up against are going to make like formatting mistakes or ignore the submissions guidelines or kind of yeah, just not be very good. Um, but I mean, to, to tell a five-page first-standing story, it's, it's tough. I sold one, and then it, I think it was about a year before I sold another. You sold it through the through the just sending them a yeah sending them through the post and like and that's was, is that your was that your first published thing yeah yeah that was back in twenty two thousand and two awesome. that came out two thousand and two and then it was something like I think the next one got published in like two thousand and four and I was just doing a series of dead end temp jobs um, and then you know blatantly stealing office supplies and <laughs> using the office printer to print off my scripts. And like one and, and you know, I was like one big mistake I made early on was like I did one that I thought really wow, this is great. This one's this one's got it. Um but I know somebody who needs a five page for a small press thing, so I'll I'll give it to him. Oh. I'll have another great idea tomorrow. Man. <laughs> oh, the next the next three things got rejected. And that one, that one I did would have been would have been great, but it, you know, it ended up in a kind of, you know, drawn drawn by a. It was somebody's first ever, you sure. know, art thing, and I think about five people saw it, so you know. Um, but, you and know, that was, was and that was fun. your last great idea. That was my last great idea. And since everything since then has been trash. That's sad. Um, sad. But yeah. Um, but when I when I first started getting into American comics, because um, the thing I was going thing I was going to say about British comics was the density of ideas, the density of material, uh, yeah. so much crammed into a very small space. Sure. To the extent that I, when I started doing American comics, I had to kind of not rush it, <laughs> like you know, understand that American readers didn't want like six events on a six pound page yeah yeah they wanted a little room to breathe you know a little room for, for ideas and, and dialogue to breathe not just like bam 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 sure um but to be honest i kind of when i 
when I go into American comics, it was it was the eighties, so they they were a lot denser back in the eighties. There was yeah. a lot more a lot more dialogue, a lot more going on. The, the big wave decompression hadn't happened, which I think we're still recovering from to an extent. Sure. Um, what, what what were you reading like? Because a lot of stuff didn't come over there, right? American comics. I, only... I started off on Secret Wars, Marvel Super Secret Wars, uh, reprinted. Um, and because you know, I knew I knew who superheroes were. I sort of I could recognize uh, Superman, you know, Wonder Woman, Batman, Spider Man. <laughs> I was actually a fan of the Hulk from like um, the most vague understanding of who he was. Sure. Uh, and like a couple of episodes of a cartoon, like that I'd seen. But like um, this was a comic with like, as far as I knew, most of the superheroes. Yeah, you know, all together, all standing in a line saying their names. <laughs> all of the superhero villains, you know, all standing in line saying their names. One of them is just this huge guy. Yeah, he's just like, who's like yelling about like I have a hunger for worlds. Yeah. And it's like, okay, wow, brilliant. Yeah, he's cool. Yeah, and it's, you know, Dr. Doom's in there. It's like my first experience with Dr. Doom. It's him basically yelling at all the superheroes to stop looking at it. (laughs) Magneto, my first experience with Magneto was like him just, okay, he's he's a bad guy. Why is he with the superheroes? They all hate it. It's it's weird. I I had to put all this together. And it was, you know, you look back at it now, it's um, for a toy comic, which was what it was. It's just, it's an insane thing. It's got like um, Wolverine basically yells at Captain America, you know, terrorists. That's what the big army calls the little army. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, kids, um, here's, here's your first taste of Wolverine. Um, I think- but yeah, it's, it's this whole. And in the back of it, of because you can't just give UK kids an American comic. It's like giving them the John Slushy. They'll, they'll gorge themselves. They use the little bits. So they chop every issue into thirds. Oh, wow. And we get like a third of an issue every week. And then as backups, we get a third of an issue of Alpha Flight. <laughs> so, you know, I got to see my first disembowelment. Uh, 2018 never did one of those. It was great. It, it oh, wow. the, uh, was John Byrne. Yeah, had uh, had poked as a belt, and then Iceman, the gem of a test Iceman. Oh wow, those are so those are weird choices. Whole, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a very weird introduction to to Marvel Superhero. Yeah, I you know like I go over to the UK a lot. I go to London a lot, and when I first started going there, I was like, man, I want to read. Uh, you know, a lot of British stuff, and I was like picking up a lot of British stuff and small press stuff. And then I got in my head that like Marvel, I could get a lot of Marvel UK stuff that wasn't in America. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy all this Marvel. And then I was immediately like going to all these comic shops in London where they were like, that's not like that stuff's hard to find. Like there is stuff that was only Marvel UK, but it's hard to find and expensive and weird. And, uh, and, but I had built up in my head that there was a whole different like parallel Marvel universe in the UK but you a little bit yeah there's like little ones there's like kill raven yeah. stuff wasn't really here and yeah we we turned it all into planet of the apes <laughs> we got somebody to draw apes on all of the martians there you go it's a beautiful solution to everything 
Um, the when what year was this? Oh, this was not that long ago. This was I, you know, I'm talking like 15, 12, 15 years ago. Okay, like because there was some there was some good stuff. I mean, two thousand eight was really start to get for a surgeons around that. Yeah, yeah, I was getting other stuff. I was just curious about the sort of Marvel stuff, and I, I, I didn't really. I didn't really understand like how Marvel UK worked. I mean, I sort of still don't quite understand Marvel UK exactly. We, we did have, um, I mean, we had our own Nick Fury in that we had Steve Dillon drawing yeah. these kind of Nick Fury strips, which nobody can kind of remember because <laughs> I don't think, you know, they're anybody's favorite Nick Fury strips, but they are like early Steve Dillon. They're so Steve Dillon, though? That's awesome. Yeah. Um, but we also had this thing because before Marvel UK, there was Autumn's Press, who were basically a kind of Beano dandy type. Because like most most comics, like I grew up, the comics I grew up reading um, were like these humor anthology comics with one page humor strips, usually built around a kid with a gimmick, mm. like. Um, Literally, I read a comic called Buster, and the lead character was named Buster, and his gimmick was that he wore a hat. Uh, so exciting times. We never <laughs> How did you come up with that idea? Uh, they ripped off Handicap. Oh, nice. True story. For, for the first like, year of publication, Buster was known as the son of Handicap, and then Red Smythe found that it. <laughs> and they hadn't asked him. So suddenly, Buster was um, a bastard child. Oh, and so sad. But still had the cap, still had Andy Cap's cap. He, yeah, he wore Andy Cap's cap until like cancellation. Wow. You know, um, there's so much multiverse, you know, nonsense. I think we need to take it all back to basics, simpler times. <laughs> new book on the shelves. What's it about? This guy, he's got a funny pair of pants. This guy. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> back to I mean, that, was, <laughs> yeah. that was the golden age. That was uh, the golden age of secrets. <laughs> um, literally, this guy, this guy was fan. I, I love it. That's I what we've it. got. I love it. I love the uh, um, just the aspir aspirational nature of it. Be like, he's got a hat. That's nice. <laughs> Not everyone can have but, a hat. <laughs> but in the sixties, um, there was a publishing company called Odoms who attempted to put out a bunch of. Well, they did. They put out a bunch of. Um, these books and it had it had stuff by like Samuel Maines, like Ken Reed, uh, Leo Baxendale, all these people doing like great work. But they also had the rights to reprint. And if you think chopping a book into thirds is wild, uh, imagine <laughs> printing three pages at a time. <laughs> uh, but they had they had the rights to do like snippets of like Spider Man and the Next Man, and. Um, yeah, and change all the dialogue so that now they're in print. Oh wow! So it's like you've got you'll you'll have the X Men kind of talking about like spending a dime down at the coffee and go go, and it, like <laughs> this really horrible lettering will be like overlaid on their dialogue, so they'll be saying like, "Hey, hey, X Men, let's go and spend a few quid <laughs> down at the, down at the like tea dub. place." That's incredible. Oh. Is, is there a, is there a British equivalent of "With great power comes great responsibility"? <laughs> 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 No, I think I think that because I do have Spider-Man's origin story in, in British form in an annual, <laughs> um, a PAL comic annual, which has the the, uh, the first issue of Spider-Man, 
um, featuring the whole, you know, sob, I wish I'd never got my spider powers, all of that, uh, but all in black, white, and a sort of quite just a livid shade of red. Huh. Um, kind of sounds sweet. <laughs> it is sweet, but they've also, and this one's in full color, but like recolored by somebody with like a wild approach to color. That's the very first in Fury story. Huh. And most of the coloring is inside the lines, but every so often the, the guy painting over it just goes insane. <laughs> <laughs> so suddenly, you know, anytime there's an explosion, it's just like there's blood everywhere. Um, <laughs> so like Nick, Nick Fury is very gory and he can't ever mention anything American. So like um, somebody somebody says to him, like in his first story, oh, this is this is big enough deal for the White House, Fury. And like there's this kind of hastily drawn thought bubble that means the president of the United States, <laughs> like covering up, you know, a sort of oh, one of the technicians. Oh wow! It's it's wonderful. I love it. It's um, it's it's the jewel of my collection. Have you um, pitched Marvel getting back into that stuff that you would like to recolor and write over some books that they could put out in the UK? I mean, I I did something kind of like that in X Men Red, where I when I basically just did a collage uh-huh. for like two of the data pages i did a double spread collage and it was it was such a fun time that i'm i'm actually gonna do it again i've kind of penciled in <laughs> but like because um the you, remaining... actually, you put it together yeah yeah it was it's it's pretty easy with like the because these days you know back in the day would have been paper you know paper and glue but now all you need is um Marvel Unlimited and <laughs> uh, Photoshop, uh-huh. and you're pretty much just. And uh, you know, I was like, I did send a full list of everyone who had worked on every panel that I'd sampled, because uh-huh. uh, you know that I don't know if I don't know if that ended up in print, but it was like I really enjoyed just this this sort of cut and paste collage of old comics pals and using yeah. that to like create a new and yeah, you know, kind of while while I have access to this kind of data page concept, um, I really want to do more stuff with that. Because like I was doing a lot of when I did Sword, I was doing a lot of kind of designing my own data pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's a lot of it's it's literally the only reason I don't the the only reason I don't do it all the time. Is a um, a time thing, sure. And B, I don't know which fonts Marvel kind of has the rights to. If you sure. know what I mean, I, I feel like a lot of them are kind of what's the word when something sort of belongs specifically to it's one proprietary company? to proprietary. Someone. Yeah, they a lot of them are kind of proprietary to individual companies, and you've got to license them specially. Mm-hmm. And like there was, there was a particular font that like X Men comics kind of have, mm-hmm. but that's not so good for like handwritten stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, there you're sort of relying on kind of um, okay, what does what does VC what have what you know what they Colin Craft have, and you're sort of sure and sort of sort of kind of I, and i did this recently actually i did this with thought um i was and, and it was i felt terrible because you know i was taking time out of out of 
Josephine Estate, but like, um, I knew we were going to be using this font for like, if all goes well, we're going to be using this font for 50 issues. So we've got to get the right font. Yeah, yeah. And can you show me your fonts? Can you show me what fonts you got for like this particular character? Yeah. And yes, and I was like font shopping. And you know, I'd love to do that all the time, but it's like, there's no time for anybody. For sure, yeah. To be doing that. It's a, this is a special case because like issue one has yet to come out and we gotta we got to get it right out the yeah. gate on this one. we got to make the right choice. Um, otherwise, th- and yeah, you know, that's not always possible. So I've kind of... Um, I feel like, and maybe this is, maybe you disagree with this, I feel like you have a mind that really likes sort of taking things apart in ways that maybe other writers don't. You're always doing like these sort of puzzly kind of things. And I think Marvel, you know, Marvel's even tapped you to do a lot of that stuff with like, you know, the um Marvel and, was one of those. Yeah, Marvel and One Thousand yeah. has that, that like a mystery that keeps appearing. And then also like you did that um was it the Invaders book that was like a uh was it incoming? Well there was no, a but you, in- yeah, there's oh, incoming, which I had something in, and I don't remember what it was. Um, but I, it was it was the worst. I <laughs> it was kind of my idea to like. I think it was my idea. I want to take the blame for it to like ask everybody to contribute four pages. Yeah, which is a bad number of pages to ask like every writer of models. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it's just finicky. But you did. Uh, it's you, not like a paycheck. It's you know. Yeah. It's price. It's it's uh, but maybe it was def- was it defenders was it, it it wasn't defenders it was like there was an invaders thing that was like um that you wrote the beginning and the end or you just maybe oh I end. think it I think it was defenders defenders was a thing where Tom kind of you did like an exquisite of, corpse on it right? yeah Tom put sort of four of us in a room and kind of ostensibly put me in charge yeah. And my first, literally the first thing I emailed was like, well, the Defenders isn't a team, so we shouldn't be either. Let's all do our own thing. And then I'll put together whatever we come up with. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just glue it all together and I'll make it work. And we kind of have to that. I think in the end, like me and, me and Jerry kind of, um, me and Jerry kind of, um, uh, like, I sort of set mine based on his, and then mm-hmm. or vice versa. I can't remember. And uh, but like we were both thinking, okay, I was going to connect together a little bit, and then Jason kind of ended up providing, you know, the big bad of the whole thing. Yeah. Um, except, you know, the big the big bad had to be like a defender's villain, but the train thing was sort of was him, and then mm-hmm. Chip, Chip, I think, yeah. uh, had his secret Atlantean society. Yeah. So they were. They ended up having, and I just, I ended up just taking all these ingredients and just throwing them together, right at the end, and that yeah. was fun. That was that was a fun Defenders, but not my favorite Defenders book I've ever done because sure. that was that was obviously with Javier, who is a delight, of course. The, um, but yeah. yeah, I just remember reading that Defenders and being like, man, not a lot of people could like fix this into a coherent story <laughs> and and it, it comes together and you read it and you're like that was really fun and strange and and surreal and and so i've always sort of thought of you as as someone who like 
likes to look at all these pieces that don't fit and being like, no, no, I, I can put these together. I like I like puzzles. One one thing I love doing, and I don't get the chance to nearly enough, is choose your own adventure stuff. Mm-hmm. I love putting those together. You you are Deadpool is like such a treat for me. Sure. And my one regret is that we never bothered to play test it because we were you know it's comics yeah. we're under the gun all the time. So I never bothered. You know I get the script done, and obviously every script on that was a bear and had to be like. You know, I was just testing. Do do all the panels fit together? So they fit together right. Yeah, um, yeah. And on one thing, issue three, we missed the panel out. So Ugh. yeah, not even then, even then. But like, I didn't play test it, so it was really, really, really difficult. Uh huh. I don't think anybody's actually won the game on the first <laughs> go around. But I'd love, you know, I'd love to do it again. Like learning what I've learned. Um, and every so often, I kind of go back to it. Uh, I did a I did a dread story before that, which was where I where I got the bug. I used to do the Christmas stories, and like one year, I just couldn't think of one. The bug was coming, and I just took a shower and I thought, okay, how about if I do a cheese around adventure story? But like, you can read it as it's going. Mm-hmm. You can read it, you know, just like that, like a normal story. Yeah. And from Dread's point of view, it's a normal story, but from like. The protagonist's point of view is cheater and adventure side. So, from Fred's point of view, this guy's just hopping back and forward in time and sort of appearing and disappearing, and uh-huh. Dad doesn't know what's going on. And it's, yeah, and, and that turned out to be easier than coming up with another idea about Santa Claus. <laughs> um, so, and that's where I got the bug. And then it was your Deadpool. And then I did one more, which was You Are Carnage. Mm hmm. And that came out the same day as Kieran's Choose Your Own Batman story, mm-hmm. which everyone always remembers. Mm-hmm. But they were the same idea. We both had the same idea independently, which was to make an impossible Choose Your Own Adventure. Uh-huh. So like you are Carnage, you could never get the good ending because yeah. there is no good ending with Carnage. Sure. So it was essentially a nine-page story with like an extra bit to sort of tantalize. Uh-huh. Uh, but mathematically, like you were constantly... Um, it's like you gain sort of carnage points as you went, and you know if you you had to roll against them, and if you know if you made the end roll and it was bad, you got the bad ending. But you could never get the good end because, like mathematically, it was not possible. There was no mm-hmm. there was no choices you could make that would not get you carnage points. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I love that. I love that. I, stuff. Yeah, that stuff. Like that stuff is so fun and exciting. And then when I think about trying to do it, I'm like. Uh, it's so time consuming and so exhaust like it's exhausting in a different set of mental muscles if that makes sense like i mean i did i did have an idea for like a sort of choose your own creator i think um and that's sort of still kind of because what i've got now is a kind of a world and some characters, mm-hmm. and I've got this sort of role-playing system. Yeah, and they don't—they don't fully go together because I kind of—I think to do a choose-your-own-adventure, you've got to sort of um, give up a lot of control to uh, to the player. Mm-hmm. And I've kind of come to enjoy the world and the characters a little too much, so I think that's just going to be a book. 
uh-huh. uh, when it eventually, you know, all the pieces come together, which is when basically, which is when my deadlines are really easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, right now, right now, I'm, I'm swapped with Marvel stuff, so it'll be a while. But I've also got this role playing system I've invented that's like really fun, and I just need a new kind of a new thing to plug that into. Sure. So, so you know, it's so you it's, had one book that is now book slash RPG. Yeah. That's now yeah. two things that two you don't have time to write. That I don't have time to write. So you know, yeah, yeah, great. And that brings us to the end of part one of our discussion with Al Ewing. Make sure to check out the Immortal Thor and Venom, as well as everything else he's working on, by subscribing to his newsletter at al-ewing-writes-comics.ghost.io. To get the latest episodes of this podcast, as well as news, giveaways, and even comics delivered straight to your inbox, go to ashcanpress.com and sign up for the newsletter. We'll be back next week for part two of our discussion, and in the meantime, you can write to us at ideasdontbleedpod at gmail.com, or tweet to Matthew Rosenberg at ashcanpress on Twitter, me at Tales to Astonish, or Griffin at Griff Sheridan. We'll include some of your correspondence on the show, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. And big thanks to Summer People for our theme song, Where's the Poison? Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Where is the poison?